Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Why Not Us podcast. I have my great crew with me here today, Josh Spaeth, Carter Yates, and Mason Gross. We have a lot to get to on today's show, a lot of great college basketball. I want to first start off by saying how's everyone doing and uh, how's everyone's week going so far? It's going pretty well. Excited to talk some hoops as always. Obviously, we'll get around to what Mac McClung did to our Longhorns, but that was a a very sad sight to see. Uh, Still have a lot of faith in the horns, but tough to see that. Yeah, it's been a great week ever up up until um, Sims wasn't able to make a free throw and Ramey made some stupid passes, but we'll get over it. Yeah, I'm doing great today. I've been waiting all day. Got a lot to say. I've been on my computer, you know, scouring the web for stats. So much so I had to put on my blue light glasses because walked outside for a second today and my eyes felt like they're about to burn out of my head. But I've been preparing for this. I'm ready to go. That's what I like to hear, Carter. Um, We'll get right into it with our first topic of discussion. Uh, After the first two weeks of the conference season, other than the typical uh, incredible teams of Gonzaga and Baylor, any uh, teams stand out to you for you guys and maybe even possible Final Four contenders? I'll start with uh, Josh on this one. So as much as every member of my family that's a massive Ohio State fan would hate for me to say, This Michigan team is scary. Hunter Dickinson is probably one of the best big men in the country. And I think he's only 18 or 19. What they did to Wisconsin Minnesota and even Northwestern in their last three games, that was a big stretch for them to start to prove against, you know, not the most difficult teams, but definitely a harder part of their schedule that they could do well. And they blew each and every one of those teams out. I mean, the, the score against Wisconsin winning by 23 is actually a lot closer than it was. They were up by 40 at one point midway through the second half. I mean, this team plays hard defense. Juwan Howard knows how to keep, keep his guys fired up through the end of a game. And nobody, nobody can stop them right now. Isaiah Livers is using his senior experience to really run some of these younger guys up and down the floor and you know, they're, they're going to have to play a gauntlet of a Big Ten schedule that we've talked about all year, and they still have to play teams like Iowa. But from what I've seen so far, this team looks like they can beat just about anybody in one of the hardest, if not the hardest, conferences in the NCAA. For me, another big team that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but they play lights-out defense and they do all of the right thing, the Houston Cougars. It feels like every single season, they're the same exact team. They rebound. They play hard defense. They're well coached. And they win the majority of games they play. They just don't get a lot of recognition because they're in the AAC. But I think this is a team, even with their one loss to Tulsa, they can beat any team in the country. And that's because every single game they play, they put up more shots than their opponent. And the only reason they lost to Tulsa is they shot 35%. And they had 11 turnovers, which is a lot for Houston. But this is a very dangerous team. I think they're very capable of running the table in the AAC and maybe sneaking in as a one seed in the NCAA tournament. I'll go with two. I'll go with my possible sleeper Final Four team. And I'll go with just not a participation trophy, but basically like I'm surprised they're in the top 25. So my Final Four sleeper is going to be Tennessee, 
Former Texas coach Rick Barnes has got something really special working there. And I've watched a few of their games on TV. They play really good team basketball. And they've got an unsung hero, uh, Yves Pons. I, I hope I said that name right. But he is a built dude. He plays forward for them. And he's kind of like the scrapper of that team. And I think he's a huge X factor and a huge energy guy. He really he doesn't show up a lot on the scoreboard, but he's doing all the right things to help them out. And I think that's a really good piece for them. I believe they only have one loss and that came to Alabama, which I'm going to chalk up to a bit of a fluke. You know, it's two days after new year's Eve. So maybe a little bit of a two day hangover there. Plus they had already beat Missouri by 20 points, which was they geared up for that game because it was two top 25 teams. I think they just got caught sleeping a little bit, but I think Tennessee has a chance to run through the sec, get a really high position NCAA tournament. And we'll see if Rick Barnes can overcome some of his NCAA tournament woes he he had sometimes at Texas. Another team that I really liked was UConn. So UConn is usually a powerhouse in college basketball. Have taken a few years off, but they were back this year. And there was now this is this is very bittersweet because James Book Knight. Was a, he's a sophomore who was averaging 20 points per game and was a fringe first-round NBA draft pick. Now he's having surgery on his left elbow. Uh, I believe it happened a couple of days ago, but he was leading the Big East in scoring, averaging 45% from the field. I still think Coach Dan Hurley can keep them in contention to go to the NCAA tournament, but I don't know if they'll finish the season ranked. Right now they're 25th, and that was with James Book Knight, and I don't think they have a guy that can adequately replace him, so – Feel bad for UConn, but I, I was really shocked to see how well they were doing throughout the midseason. Yeah, Carter, their second leading scorer is only averaging 10.6 a game. So, Book Knight's really going to be a huge loss for them. And we'll see. Hurley's a great coach. Like you said, they could sneak into the tournament, but it's a tough scene what happened to Book Knight. Yeah, and all your choices, I think, are final four contenders. Uh, maybe not UConn, but the other teams that you guys mentioned are definitely have some. Uh, potential to do something special. I'm going to go with a team under the radar because that's what I do. I'm going to highlight a mid-major. I think the Boise State Broncos out of the Mountain West are a team to look out for as a possible second weekend Sweet 16 team because of the experience that they have in the scoring prowess that comes with them, averaging 82 points a game. They got a senior point guard in Derek Alston Jr., who has led them in scoring in pretty much 80 to 90% of their games so far. They have one loss this year, and that's to a Mason's team, the Houston Cougars, on the road by 10 points. They have beaten everyone that they've played by handle handily a margin so far, other than the BYU game, which they won on the road, uh, which is a very impressive win. They're mowing through the Mountain West Conference. Obviously, they haven't played the top echelon teams of that conference, but I really like their senior leadership. I think they have a lot of different scores. They can rebound. They don't turn it over very much in their experience, like I said. So I think the Broncos are a team to look out for, and we'll see how far they can go. They, I think they might be the best mid-major, uh, even better than St. Louis, who we talked about on this show. But now let's get into a little fun game that I am going to mention for the first time on this show. It's called, Are You Smarter Than the Experts? And how the show works is I'm going to ask you guys a team um, and you're going to tell me what seed they would fall as of right now or if they're in the tournament or not. And that is going to be according to 
our bracketology expert, Joe Lenardi from ESPN. Let's see how much you guys know, uh, like Joe Lenardi, the expert. So I'll start with Carter on this one. I'm going to ask you a team, Carter, and you're going to give me what seed you think they are as of right now and how far that they can go. I'll start with a tough team out of the Pac-12, led by Evan Mobley, USC Trojans. Hmm. USC, I'm going to go around a seven seed, I believe. I don't think they're going to be in the top three or so, but I think they are a team to watch. Really quality guess there. A six seed right now, so you pretty much nailed on the dot. Very impressive. How far do you think the Trojans can go? I see the Trojans getting bounced in the round of 32. I think if they're a six seed, they'll get past a, a they'll probably get matched up with a pretty tough 11 seed there. And I think they'll get past that. But after that, I don't think they have enough firepower to go much farther. Okay. Mason, I'll, I'll give you a little team close to home, the Illinois fighting a line on. Um, Illinois is an interesting team because they're just as capable of winning the entire tournament as losing in the first round to a 14 seed. And with that said, I think that our boy Joe Lenardi is going to have them as a three seed right now. That is correct. Very impressive. And how far do you think Illinois can go in the NCAA tournament? Um, whatever I say is going to come back to bite me in the butt because this is the most volatile team in the country. Um, I think they lose in the round of 32. Wow. Bold guess. They don't have the pedigree and they don't have the experience. Okay. Okay. I feel I like agree. We'll, we'll go to Josh. I know you are a fan of this team as well. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, man. First off, I just want to note that Jerry Palm is my bracketology guy. But There's well, two guys. There's two guys. We'll do, we'll do Jerry Palm next time. That's fine. Um, <laughs> Ohio State. I think, you know, they're, they're not as volatile as Illinois, but as Mason Gross once said, Ohio State is a poor man's Illinois, um, which is kind of ironic considering the historic record between the two. I'm going to give them a five. That is correct. They are a five. And how far do you see the Buckeyes going? So I honestly, they could get bounced by a good 12, but – if they've got a week four, that's maybe like a third or fourth place team in some major conference, they might make it to the Sweet 16. It really depends if Dwayne Washington decides that he wants to show up because when he goes off, we do well. But if, if he's getting a lot of foul trouble, you know, missing our free throws, same kind of issues that are plaguing Illinois. These two, these two teams are very similar. Um, then, then they're probably going to have a tough time against a hungry 12 seed. Okay. Very good job, guys. Very impressive. You guys are pretty much just as smart as our expert, Joe Lenardi. Um, well, let's get into our Longhorns. We talked about them a little bit at the top of the show. They had a very disappointing, obviously, loss to Texas Tech this past week in conference, their first conference loss of the season, second overall loss, a game that they pretty much handled for about 35 minutes, and they, they really let it slip away from free-throw shooting, turnovers, missed some missed uh, easy shots at the end, and obviously a disappointing loss, especially coming off that really incredible come-from-behind win against the Mountaineers of West Virginia this past weekend. 
obviously uh, disappointing overall, but what are you guys' takeaways going into uh, this weekend's game against Kansas State? And obviously this was a loss that they probably shouldn't have had, but is it that meaningful and can they get past this? I'll start with Mason on this one. Okay. Shaka Smart should be embarrassed with himself that they lost this game. They were by far the more talented team, but the discipline that his Longhorn showed this past game against Texas Tech was flat-out embarrassing. There is no reason to miss 13 free throws in a college game. You are college athletes who literally all you need to do is spend a couple hours in the gym, focus, put in some music, and work on free throws. Shooting 58% in a game you need to win is embarrassing. Second, the turnovers. Courtney Ramey, that was a stupid pass. But still, we lost the turnover battle 7-15. to A team this talented should not be turning the ball over this much. It's that simple. This loss is 100% on Shaka Smart because he needs to get his team disciplined. This is the most talented team Texas has had since we had Kevin Durant. And it's really on Shaka to write the ship. Hopefully he can use this as a learning experience and that'll show how good a coach he really is. If Texas is able to bounce back from this and not lose games, they should, they should win against Kansas state, Iowa state, and maybe even TCU. I think if Texas can go three and zero in those games, then we're back on the right track. But I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if we lose on the road to Iowa State. And that's just really due to discipline and the history of this team playing down to its opponents. But we'll see. It's on you now, Shaka. So let's see if you could turn this team around. Not sure if Shaka's actually tuning into the podcast, but hope he does. I I think that Mason, you touched on a lot of good points there, but. You know, since that 25-point win against Kansas, just looking at scores alone, you can see this team's confidence going in and reflecting on the box score with, you know, close wins or, you know, not the biggest wins. Only beating Iowa State last week at home by six in a game where, you know, it wasn't it, – it was still kind of close down the stretch. You know, you got to – Iowa State's one of the worst teams in the conference. You're supposed to – absolutely destroy these teams, especially coming off of a huge win at Kansas. But I think the discipline's a huge component of this. I think Tech, by the way, is a really, really good team. You know, they, they've got only three losses this year to a very feisty Oklahoma State team that honestly could have taken us to overtime when we hosted them, which is what happened to Tech. They lose to Kansas by a point and they lose at Houston, which is, of course, another solid game. So I, I don't want to downplay Tech at all. I think that they're a very tough team, but you're absolutely right. You know, we, we were winning this game for just about the entirety of it. Really came down the stretch to see how we were going to close out. And, you know, it did not end up the way that it did against West Virginia. And I think that win was very impressive. But down the stretch, we played like a team that knew that they needed to hit a tough shot with a few seconds left. But you have to put yourself in a position for that to happen. Inbounds passes where Courtney Ramey doesn't even look before he passes the ball directly to a Red Raider with less than a minute left. That can't happen. What I don't understand is Kai Jones plays 15 minutes in this game. 
you know, I understand Jericho was five of seven. He was a great big body presence to have, but in so many of our wins this year, we've been able to go to our bench, go to guys like Kai Jones and get them in the game. But I, I don't understand why he barely played. And I really don't understand why Jericho was on the floor for so long. Shaka could have easily seen that Jericho was missing free throw after free throw and said, you know what? He could play for 25, 30 minutes, but the last three, I should probably take him out because it's a great strategy to follow. And that's exactly what Chris Beard did. So I think it was a hard play game. Looking forward to our finale in Lubbock, but should have won that. I said on last podcast that I was ready to get hurt again. I tried to be tempered in my expectations. I tried to not get excited. And the second I got excited, I wake up in the middle of the night with night terrors from Mac McClung's snarling face on my television screen. Wow. I mean, what a shot by McClung. Uh, it hurt. It hurt bad. And I'm sure it hurt for the players. But but I will spin zone. I'll take the positive route. And I'll say, I think Texas needed this. I think we needed a bit of a wake-up call because Andrew Jones's late heroics in the West Virginia game masked that the team has not been playing and clicking on all cylinders. You talked about it, Josh, ever since that Kansas game where they had their undoubtedly the best game of the season. They have a six-point win versus Iowa State. And then they don't play all that well versus West Virginia. It's honestly, it's a miracle that we, we, they walked out of that game with a win. I mean, you looked at Brock Cunningham's plus minus was, I think it was like minus 20 or something like that. The, the, the three point shooting aside from Andrew Jones's last shot was horrendous. They really walked out lucky to have won that game versus West Virginia. And I think they needed a bit of a punch in the gut. They needed Texas Tech walking in on their home floor and beating them. They needed Mac McClung snarling into an ESPN camera to fuel the fire. And I think this will end up working out for them in the long run. But I agree with all your points, guys. I mean, Shaka Smart, we want to praise him for this season so far. That was not the best performance, I think, that he had. Um, just like, like you're saying, I mean, Jericho Sims is – not hitting free throws whatsoever. Why is he still, you know, maybe do a substitution, like a defense for offense substitution at the end there or something, get him out of, out of the, off the floor when Chris Beard can just have his guys go attack and go foul Jericho Sims. Um, I think Shaka and the entire team need to kind of look themselves in the mirror, but they've got a pretty easy stretch coming up. Now I say that and they might, you know, go one and two now or whatever, but I think if they can go, you know, three, and zero in this stretch, I think it's very good. They had the wake up call and I'm not out on this team yet. Yeah. I think all three of you guys make excellent points. Just the, I want to touch on the Shaka smart, Chris Beard. I think Chris Beard out coached Shaka smart in those last five minutes. And you could really see the veteran coaching leadership from Chris Beard and he took advantage of Shaka and Shaka's, you know, one of his knocks throughout his career has been disciplined teams. And he, Texas was not disciplined in those last five minutes against Texas Tech, a game that they should have had. Obviously, from a player's perspective, Jericho Sims, you got to get in the gym, you got to make your free throws. And it's on Shaka to take you out if you know that they're just going to foul you down the stretch. 
And to go six of 14 um, as a college athlete and you're a senior, especially, that's inexcusable. And then Matt Coleman, also a senior, you need to shoot better than three of 12 from the floor uh, against a team like Texas Tech. And obviously it hurts and pains me that the player that won the game for Texas Tech is Matt McClung because he's one of the most annoying players in college basketball. Reminds me of Grayson Allen uh, from Duke a few years ago. But um, obviously I'm glad this happened in January and not in March. And hopefully we can learn from the experience. And obviously, as Carter mentioned, our stretch coming up, three very winnable games. I think it's very important that we not just win, but play well, kind of kill at least two of these three teams and get build our confidence back up because we play Baylor in a few weeks time and we're going to need all our guns going at them because they're one of the best teams in the country. And this is a game that you can really learn from. You can go two ways. You could kind of fall apart a little bit, or you can build from it and get it better as a team. And hopefully because Texas has a lot of uh, senior leadership and experience on the team that they'll build from this game. I want to know real quick. I think they will build from this game. In the post-game presser, we've got Matt Coleman, who ends up staying on the Zoom, staying in the press conference, as Courtney Ramey fields questions, standing behind him and, you know, really going to bat for his guy. We know Courtney Ramey has um, been a little hot and cold throughout the season. His highs are really high. His lows, excuse me, pretty low. Uh, but Matt Coleman standing behind him. Matt Coleman's an awesome leader. I think this team – um, I think this team's going to band together. I think they're going to attack these next three games. If they lose one of these next three games, then I think we've got to get the Clippers out for Shaka Smart because we got to go back, change the hairstyle or something, you know, go with whatever's working. Yeah, we're going to need to sound some kind of alarm if we lose the next three games. No disrespect to any of the three teams coming up. But now I want to kind of touch on, we'll start with Texas. Uh, a new, it's an evaluation tool that me and Josh and then Mason a little bit have talked about over the last couple of years following college basketball. It's called the net. It's kind of replaced the RPI a few years ago. It's a much better metric that the committee really looks at when evaluating teams come NCAA tournament time, Texas, obviously they're number four, I believe at the moment in the AP pool probably will drop a few spots, but they're number 12 in the net dropped from nine after the Texas tech game and tech jumped seven spots. Uh, them. As your guys are looking at the net rankings, maybe top 25-ish, anything that stands out to you as a surprising team that should be way, they're way too high or way too lower? And do you like this evaluation tool um, that the committee uses come the NCAA tournament time? And it's whenever you, whoever wants to answer first, go ahead. So I'll let Josh talk, touch on Drake because I know that they're near and dear to his heart. But what in the world is Colorado doing at number nine? Who has this team beat? They have three losses, and you've got Tech below them, Texas below them, Creighton below them, St. Louis and Boise State below them, who I'm sure we're going to touch on. But Colorado's not even ranked in the top 25 right now. The Pac-12 is such a mediocre conference. I would put maybe even the American ahead of them. The American is actually definitely ahead of them. Maybe even the 8-10. Like, the Pac-12 is in shambles, and Colorado's not even their best team, but they're ninth in the net? I want to know what goes into that, because this is really not a good team without any quality wins. Well, according to the net, they're quality wins, but I don't know. It's kind of ludicrous to me. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is a little high. 
in a lot of different places here. You know, this five seed, six seed, seven seed USC that we're talking about is at 18 in the net. That's a little high. I think that's probably part of the reason why Colorado is so high. Colorado does lead the country in free throw shooting. So Mason, you can appreciate that. Um, I think that, you know, I, I do respect this team. I do think that the Buffaloes are solid and could play a, a strong game or two in the NCAA tournament, but totally agree. They shouldn't be number nine. Drake at 10, I think is looked upon very well as we were kind of discussing before the podcast, just because they've blown out just about everybody they've played. You know, they obviously their win at Kansas state by 10 points to start the season is not really a quality win anymore because of Kansas state's, you know, not, not a great team, but you know, I, I think that the net is really good for looking at a few different groups of teams. First, I think when it comes to, you know, early, late January, the, the ranking system is just getting going, but it's finally starting to get its footing. So you can kind of get an idea of where teams are. But what I really like it for is I like to see how it's impacted because it's updated daily after a big win or a big loss. So Adam, as you mentioned, Tech jumping up seven points over Texas, that's, that's a pretty big reflection on how big of a win they think that is. So looking at things like that are really helpful for me. Um, you, can, you really can find a lot of strange anomalies in here, like Colgate at 21 and, you know. Here, well, well, Kansas. <laughs> yeah, not so many. <laughs> Kansas at 20, LSU at 19 over Kansas. Like that's, that's also questionable. And not to knock on St. Louis and Boise State, but I don't think that they should be in the teens at 14 and 16, respectively. But this ranking system is really nice for, especially once there's a lot of data in it coming down the stretch. And I know that we'll be spending a lot of time on our podcast looking at the various quad wins when it comes to February and March. If Courtney Ramey was an entire basketball team, he'd be the University of Illinois. I don't know why Illinois is number seven in the net right now. We've seen that the highs Illinois can reach with Ayo Desunmu, Kofi Coburn, and uh, Andre Curbelo. They've got a great team, but you don't get to lose to Maryland by three points and stay at number seven. You don't get to beat Ohio by three points or whatever it was. You know, they have too many of these losses. They lose to Baylor by, I mean, they get smacked by Baylor, uh, who of course is number one in the net. Illinois turns the ball over too much. The free throw shooting is not there. I don't know how they're ranked seventh in the net right now. And like you, we talked about earlier, Mason, like they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but wow, I would, I would almost, if I'm filling out a bracket right now, I, I could pick them to lose in the first round. I could see Illinois losing in the first round because I, a night in night out basis, you don't know what you're going to get from these guys. So there's too much inconsistency. There's too much volatility for me to see them at number seven. Uh, I, if they played more consistent, I could, I could see the argument, but I don't know why they're up there right now. Yeah. And I think uh, the net over the last couple of years, since it came out, I think in, the early stages of January, you've seen teams that just don't make sense. A lot of them being from mid-major conferences just because they've played inferior or less competition. They've kind of killed their opponents. And that 
they, the net really favors uh, beating teams by a lot of points, which obviously is a factor, but not a, shouldn't be the end all be all factor. But um, I think it will, even as Josh was mentioning, I think it will even itself out as we get into February and into the later stages of conference play. Um, I, from just looking at it, I mean, a lot of teams, they do make sense. A lot of teams don't make sense. I don't think it's, you know, put too much stock into it. I would focus really on the quad system and the wins in that category to evaluate, evaluate teams, but the team that we've talked about already that I really like being at number three in the net. And I think they should be number three in the AP pool come next week is the Michigan Wolverines. I think the, the ability to beat quality opponents, not just beat them, but kill them and dominate 40 minutes uh, against a team like Wisconsin that they did this past week. And they're 11 and 0. They've looked incredible. Hunter Dickinson, as we've talked about, has been playing awesome. Isaiah Livers is a great guard. Uh, they're a very complete team, a lot of experience on the team as well. And I think they should be the favorite right now, even ahead of Iowa in the Big Ten. We'll see when they play each other later in the year. But obviously a thing to look at in the net rankings. I like some of the net rankings where they've put some of my uh, favorite mid-major teams like Boise State and St. Louis. They might be a little too high. Obviously Colgate, no disrespect to them out of the Patriot League. No reason they should be in the top 20 and ahead of Kansas. But they'll even itself out as we move forward in the conference uh, season. And now going to uh, our next topic of discussion obviously my favorite topic every week, uh, the mid-major storylines. Uh, I want to give a talk about a little bit today about a conference that we haven't really touched on in the mid-major portion of our podcast over the last couple of weeks, a conference that really intrigues me. I think year in and year out, there's a lot of parody in this conference. Teams beat up on each other. Uh, we talked about a couple of shows ago, the cannibalism in the Big Ten. Well, there's a lot of cannibalism in this conference of conference usa there's so many teams in this conference and they just beat up on each other already this year team every team has a win and every team except one which is uab has a loss which shows just the depth of the conference and year in and year out uh teams like middle tennessee western kentucky old dominion uab um they've been able to knock off uh three four or five seeds in the ncaa tournament consistently over the last decade or so so i want to ask you guys this looking at the conference right now what team or two teams stand out to you that could knock off a team uh that's in the three to five seed range come ncaa tournament time for me it's western kentucky because of charles bassey i mean you rarely, if ever, are going to see a player with that much talent play in a conference like this. And when you've got a player this talented and a team that's grown accustomed to them as the season goes on, with that type of continuity and that type of talent, they could give any sort of team a scare. I would love to see a Western Kentucky team play Illinois or Ohio State in the first round and see how that goes. Because if you catch one of those teams on a bad night, like we've mentioned, anything is possible. And with the talent of Charles Bassey and Western Kentucky, I think they could do it if they're able to win this conference. I think I'm probably going to go with UAB here. As you noted, they're the only team in Conference USA that has yet to lose a game. They've only played two games against Southern Miss, and those were just fine. This team hasn't had a super difficult schedule. Their only loss is to a very solid Chattanooga team by three points. Um, they've got 
the game tonight and tomorrow against Charlotte. Actually, they're in the midst of their game at Charlotte right now, and they're up 37 to 11. It's almost halftime. Um, but I think this team has got a lot of good scores. They play good defense. They've got a few guys that all average over 10 points, including senior Michael Ertle from Indianapolis and Jalen Benjamin, who's a sophomore from Raleigh. Small guy, only 140 pounds, but he's scrawny. He'll fight for a rebound or two. You know, I think that when it comes to most of these conferences, as we kind of talked about with Missouri Valley, I kind of see the conference tournament for Conference USA very similarly. You might have a few early favorites going into the conference tournament and then see a five or six seed come out of that, get a decent seed and still be like Middle Tennessee as a 15 and upset a two-seeded Michigan State. So we'll really have to see and continue to follow this conference down the stretch, but I'm excited to see what they can produce. So are we doing teams from Conference USA only here? Uh, you could throw you could throw out another team if you want. <laughs> well, okay, I, I'll go I'll go Conference USA, and then I'll talk about another team that I think has a chance to make some noise in the tournament. My Conference USA team, and okay, both these teams. Let me process both for the same reason. Conference USA team is Rice. Okay, so. Rice is led by two guards. They've got oh, – let me pull this up real quick. Let me remember these guys' name. Quincy Olivari, who's a sophomore guard. And then they have Travis Evi, who is another guard for them. They're both the two main scorers on the team. Olivari is averaging 16.2 points per game. Evi is uh, averaging 15.8 points per game. But get this, their three-point percentages are 48.7% and 41.7% respectively. I think I think that this year in the NCAA tournament, teams that can shoot the three at a, at a high percentage have a way better chance to knock off one of these more volatile power five teams at any given night. You don't really know what you're going to get from them. I don't know if Rice, when the last time Rice was in the tournament was, I don't know if they've ever been in the tournament, showing some love right now to a Texas school here. But I think that they have the guard play that is necessary to get – make some noise in the NCAA tournament. And then also they've got a forward who's averaging 9.4 rebounds a game, Max Fielder, Fieldler. He's averaging 12.5 points, 9.4 rebounds a game. So very balanced team here. And then another uh, sneaky sleeper team I have – they're awesome in football always, but I'm going to go North Dakota State. I think they have a chance to get in the tournament and maybe make some noise for the same exact reason, the three-point shooting. Let me read off these three-point percentages from their top four scorers. We got 40%, 37.5%, 45.8%, and 41.4%. We've got three out of their top four scorers shooting at least 40% from three-point range. These guys can shoot it out of the gym. And looking at their schedule, even more impressive, they lose to Kansas by four points back on December 5th. And then they lose to TCU by seven points. It shows you that they're hanging tough with these power five teams. And I think they've got a chance if they make into the NCAA tournament to pull an upset. And I, I like your take, Carter. North Dakota State the last couple of years has been a quality team. A few years ago, they played Zion and Duke, and they were down just a possession at halftime. 
And then last year they got in, they won their tournament before COVID obviously, and they were a potential sleeper 15 or 14 seed to make some noise. So I like that pick from the conference USA. I'm going to mention the team they've done before because I was there in person when they upset uh, Wichita state, a four versus 13 game. It's, the Marshall Thundering Herd and Gerard West was on that team, and he's their leading, he's their second leading scorer with 13.4 points a game. He is a senior point guard. I think he is an incredible player. And then they have a junior guard uh, that just came on to the spotlight, really, uh, Tavion Kins- Kinsey, who averages 21 points a game with six rebounds, does it all for Marshall. And they have had some quality wins already. They're seven and two overall. They beat a quality Louisiana Tech team, and they hung tough with a really good mid-major in Toledo with the, where they lost in overtime. And they also have a nice win on the road at Wright State, favorite out of the Horizon League. This team has the experience. They're very well coached. Uh, the coach also does not wear nice clothes. He wears T-shirts to every game, which I like. Um, I'm not a very, you know, fancy dresser myself. So <laughs> I, I respect that out of him. But uh, this team can shoot the ball out of the gym team in conference USA can shoot uh and and as we talked about in this tournament anything can happen they just got to get playing good basketball in March and then if they can win three games in the conference tournament they could be a scare 14 seed I see them uh around uh obviously Mason mentioned the favorite Western Kentucky I think a Marshall Western Kentucky final conference USA would be an incredible game and it's happened before they've played each other um, so I'm looking forward to that. And before we get off to the games to watch, Carter, I know you just shared your team, North Dakota State, uh, from uh, undefeated so far in conference play. Any other undefeated conference uh, play teams from mid-major conferences that stand out to Mason or uh, Josh uh, so far through uh, middle of January? I'm still riding the Winthrop wave. Okay. They've looked pretty solid. Um, it was kind of unfortunate that they didn't cover last night in a game against three and 11 Longwood, but you know, they're still shooting. Well, the big South, I think is a little weaker this year than usual with the exception of Radford. Um, they will play Radford at Radford in a few weeks. So that, that double header right there will be a, a solid test for them. Yeah. Winthrop obviously off to an undefeated start we could they could have a really nice record come ncaa tournament time like a 30 win type team uh come the tournament obviously a lot of people would love to take them as a sleeper uh, upset pick mason do you have a team for us yeah um i've been on the 810 all year it's a super talented mid-major conference obviously st louis is the favorite but I think the second best team in that conference is the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. Their season did not end up starting until December due to some COVID concerns. But in every single game they've played, they've been in it. They've been beating the teams that they should be beating. And their one loss is to Rhode Island, which I would compare them to like an Indiana or a Purdue in the Big Ten where they're not going to win all of the games they play, but they're super talented and can really beat anybody. But the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, they've got some real experience on that team. They're making noise in the A-10. And I don't know, maybe they can win the conference tournament, beat St. Louis, and then we could have a two-bid A-10, and that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, anytime you get a two-bid mid-major conference, I will be singing your praises in March. 
One more team I'm going to throw at you guys before we get into games to watch. It's out of the the Southern Conference, one of my favorite mid-major conferences. It's the Furman Paladins. Uh, They are 9-3 and overall. They should have beat Alabama on the road, who obviously is playing exceptional basketball in the SEC Conference. They're led by star guard Clay Mounts. He got hurt in that Alabama game with eight minutes left. That's why I think they lost. He has been uh, averaging 16 points a game. They also have another shooting guard in Noah Gurley averaging 15 a game. And they have Mike Bothwell, 17.7 a game. So you got three guys averaging 15 or more a game, which as Carter talked about, you want to see guys that can shoot the three well. They can score a lot of points. And if you have multiple guys that can do that. You don't need one guy uh, to do it all in the NCAA tournament. I think it's a recipe for success. And they've gone off to conference play with a nice win over who was undefeated in the Citadel, where they put up 94 points. As Josh mentioned, they beat a quality Chattanooga team, and they also beat a quality Mercer team. So they're off to a nice 3-0 starting conference play. My game that I'm going to be looking for them to get a, a look at them come Tournament time, I'm looking at their game against Wofford and UNCG. I think if they can beat those two teams, they are definitely a tournament-type team. As you can remember, a few years ago, they went to Villanova and upset them, and a lot of those same players are on this year's team. So I really like them to make some noise come NCAA tournament time. I think one more thing I just want to add about Furman is just looking at their numbers of scoring, they're averaging 86.5 points per game. Pretty good. And they're – players in terms of those three games that they've played two of those games as you noted in conference so far are pretty difficult clay mounts is averaging 21 points a game bothwell had 18 and Gurley at 18 and mounts and bothwell are a little bit better shooters than Gurley in that they have shot 60 percent and 57.5 percent respectively from the field and from three, Mounts shot 50% from the field and Bothwell shot 40% from the field against three solid conference play, three, three solid conference contenders. And, I, you know, it's only three games, but this team can really, really score. They dropped 118 points on South Carolina State. So excited to see what they've got in the tank. Yeah, and obviously I think they could be a popular 12 seed because they'll have a nice record come NCAA tournament time. So as we get into uh, the last segment of the podcast here today, a couple games to watch. We have a we have a great slate on Saturday overall. I'm very excited for Saturday, not just NFL football playoffs, but of course a full slate of college basketball. But the first game that we'll get into to talk about, uh, we'll start in the Big Ten as we usually do since the Big Ten has so many great teams. Another quality matchup is the Michigan Wolverines and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Minnesota, as we've talked about, a surprise team out of the Big Ten so far this year. And Michigan might be one of the best teams in the country and probably could be number three in the AP pool come Monday. Uh, From your guys' perspectives, what are your analysis going into the game? And do you think Michigan rolls over or rolls through a, a decent quality team in Minnesota? Well, Michigan beat them by 25 points two two games ago. So I don't know if it's going to be that much of a blowout, but this team is playing with some serious confidence. And Michigan has ran through those mid to upper echelon Big Ten teams so far. So I'd expect more of the same here. Yeah, I think that this is really the game that differentiates Michigan from Iowa. I could definitely see them winning this game by double digits. But as we can remember, Iowa slipped up in a high-scoring game 
at Minnesota, lost that game in OT. This is the chance for Michigan to prove that that's not going to happen, especially since there are no fans. Home court advantage shouldn't matter as much anymore, and I think they should be able to do that. Michigan has is the hottest team in the country right now. They've beaten three top 25 teams by 19 or more points in consecutive games. They've already like blown out Minnesota before. Minnesota has only won three of seven games against ranked teams this year. And for that reason, I think Minnesota is going to keep it close because all logic says that Michigan's going to blow them out just like they've blown out everyone else so far. And Minnesota is one of those volatile power five teams that doesn't always come to play versus ranked opponents. I think Minnesota is going to keep this one close because they're undefeated at home this season, 10 and 0 on the year. But I think Michigan stays undefeated and keeps on rolling. Yeah, I, I think this game could be close, but I think Michigan and their defense really stands out to me. They've only allowed one team in the Big Ten so far to score more than 70 points, and that was Maryland, who scored 73. They're, they've held, they played Minnesota earlier this year, and they won 82-57 in that game, so a rematch here as well. They held Wisconsin, as we talked about, to 54 points a game. We, they held Northwestern, who was hot at the time, right after New Year's, uh, to 66 points. That kind of started Northwestern spiral a little bit. But I think Michigan rolls. They're too talented. They're too well coached. I think they're the. I think they're clearly right now the third best team in the country. Going to another Big 12 game. We talked about Texas Tech and Matt McClung and how annoying Matt McClung is. Uh, they play a huge game this weekend against Baylor. The Baylor Bears, number two in the country, Texas Tech, top 15 team. Can Texas Tech ride the momentum uh, from that Texas win this past week and upset Baylor, or do you think Baylor rolls Texas Tech in this top 15 matchup? This is going to be a blowout. Mac McClung's going to get a reality check. The talent differential between these two teams is really not even close. And the defense that Baylor plays compared to the defense that Texas plays – well, let's just say Mac McClung is not going to go for 20 points against Baylor. I could see him shooting a good 20, 25% in this game. That's, that's pretty low. Um, I, I did do agree with you, though. I think that Baylor's got a good chance to absolutely wipe Tech. The one thing that I will note about this is that since Baylor played Illinois on their home court on December 2nd, They've played no one. They've had no problem walking through a lot of not so great to Stephen F. Austin level non-conference games. And then in conference, their toughest game so far, I guess, was at TCU and they won by 18. I just don't see, you know, any challenge they've had recently. So luckily they did not have their game against West Virginia this past Tuesday. That was postponed due to COVID concerns within the Mountaineers program, but that game would have been a really interesting indicator to see where Baylor is at coming into Lubbock. It's hard to win any game in Lubbock. So I'll give Tech the benefit of the doubt and say that they keep this one close. But, you know, after some free throws, Baylor could probably still cover the five and a half spread that Vegas has. Well, that's exactly the point I was going to bring up, Josh. I mean, looking at Baylor's schedule, they really haven't played, like you said, anyone since that Illinois game. And yeah, they're the number two ranked team in the country. They're now the f- last team that's unbeaten the Big 12, but they've 
gone through basically all the cupcakes already that the Big 12 has to offer. So West Virginia was really going to be their first test, and now it's going to be Texas Tech. I do think having that game against West Virginia postponed actually is going to help them versus Tech. They're going to be very fresh. They've had basically a week off. And I think Tech's going to be a little emotionally drained, to be honest, after that come-from-behind victory against Texas. And I think uh, they're not going to come out as fiery as they normally would like. I think Chris Beard is going to try his hardest to coach him up and keep this game close. But I think Baylor's going to roll here. And I'll get a little bit of a, you know, secondhand enjoyment from watching Baylor hopefully take down Texas Tech a little bit. But uh, I think Baylor is still the best team in this conference. And even though they haven't really played many people, uh, I think they still are going to have no problem with Tech here. Yeah, and I, I was going to make a bold claim for this game and say that Texas Tech knocks off Baylor, but I really don't see it happening. So my bold claim for this game is star player, everyone's favorite, Floth Bamba, has 10 points or more, uh, only averaging four points a game and does not play very much, but hopefully he has an incredible game for Baylor, and Baylor smokes Texas Tech for what they did to our Longhorns this past week. I think Baylor is the second-best team in the country and Jared Butler and Masi O.T. are going to be way too much uh, for Texas Tech to handle. And as Carter mentioned, I think they are going to be emotionally drained from that game this week against Texas. I think Baylor comes in and wipes out the Red Raiders, even though it is at Texas Tech. A game that we're going to be talking about now, we haven't really talked a lot about the ACC other than teams like Duke and North Carolina, but there, this is where game day is going this Saturday. It's a top 20 matchup between maybe two of the ACC favorites between Clemson and Virginia. Obviously, Virginia, we haven't really talked about them a lot because of when they lost that game early in the season to San Francisco, but they're quietly 8-2 and two and 4-0 in the conference right at the top of the ACC standings where they usually always are. And Clemson, surprisingly, has snuck up to number 12 in the AP pool, and they're 9-1 and one overall and 3-1 and one in conference. Obviously, a huge game for the conference standings. Who do you think takes this one? And does Clemson have what it takes to be one of those teams come March to make a second weekend, or are they just a, a lot of hype right now? I'll start with, uh, I'll start with Josh on this one. I, you know, we've talked about it a little bit before this, but Clemson being number 12 is probably the sneakiest thing that AP poll has done to us in a little while. You know, I, I really don't see a very high quality win on their schedule with the exception of maybe a, a solid performance hosting Florida State or an eight-point win at Alabama. Um, you know, the major other challenge they have is at Virginia Tech. That was a solid game, but they lost by six. Frankly, I think that the fact like, – them being favored against a Virginia team that I think is the best, if not the second best, to Virginia Tech in the ACC. Then Clemson being favored – is is really a trap play here i think that you know this is their time to absolutely prove me wrong for doubting them on the pod but i don't understand how they're going to put up points against this virginia defense with which has done a great job this year with the exception of that blowout versus gonzaga but that's gonzaga i i don't know i don't see a lot coming from this clemson team maybe i'm wrong but you know i i really just think that they they haven't done a lot in the past. This is a year where they've probably got a hot start and I could easily see it cool off. 
Josh, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. You said Virginia's defense is going to stifle them. This is probably the worst defensive team that Virginia's had in recent memory. Usually when Virginia plays, it's miraculous when the other team scores more than 60 points. San Francisco did it to them. Kent State did it to them. Gonzaga did it to them with a whopping 98. Wake Forest did it to them with 61. Notre Dame in their last game did it to them with 68. Virginia is not the same team that we're accustomed to. And because this game is being played in Clemson, I think that Clemson should be able to pull this one out. It seems like the college football playoff committee has now transitioned into doing the AP poll for college basketball because I have been, you know, diligently watching college basketball over my winter break. You know, I wake up hungry and I feast on college basketball. And then all of a sudden I got to look at Clemson at number 12 in the country for no apparent reason. I look at their schedule. They've got one decent win, decent against Florida State. Other than that, they haven't beat a single ranked team that I saw. And somehow they're number 12 in the country. I don't understand it. And it makes me slightly irritated because now my Clemson buddies who have the number one football team uh, with one of the, you know, with like one of the best dynasties that's ever been not get to have a good basketball team too. And I don't understand why. I think, I don't know how Clemson is favored in this game. Everyone go and hammer Virginia money line because I know Virginia's defense is not as good as it's been in years past, but I don't see how Clemson comes out of this game with a win. And I think this is where they get exposed as frauds. And it baffles me, honestly. I'm at a loss for words. I'd be down for a little (laughs) why not a side wager here. This is not the same Virginia team. (laughs) And I'd be willing to put my money where my mouth is with Clemson. (laughs) Well, we, we can discuss uh, side wagers uh, after the podcast. I don't want to do this uh, on the podcast for liability concerns. I don't know how it works. But um, I actually agree with Mason. I think both of these teams are frauds. I don't think either of these teams are good. Uh, Amir Sims is obviously the best player on Clemson. He's uh, one of their veteran leaders. Uh, but it is at Clemson. Uh, M- Mason touched on Virginia's you know, lack of defense a little bit in years past this year. And I think Virginia, uh, Clemson has played. I know they haven't really played anyone, but they have won pretty much every game except one. And the game that they lost to is who I think is the best team in this conference in Virginia Tech. And, you know, you go and play Florida State, you beat them by 10 points, you beat NC State, you beat Miami. They're all close games, but you beat them. And that's the key. They were winning a bunch of close games. They won at Alabama. They beat Maryland. I know Maryland's not quality. Um, the quality team, they beat Purdue and they beat Mississippi State. So they've won all these games against decent opponents, NCAA tournament teams, I think, most of them. And they get it done. They play pretty good defense. I think this game is going to be played in the 60s. And it's going to come down to one of those final possessions. But because they're at home and because I'm not a believer in Virginia at all, I think Clemson's able to come out with this win and they could be one of the favorites in the ACC. Uh, come next week if they're able to pull out this win. The last game that we're going to touch on here uh, for today on this podcast, it's an incredible, huge game, lots of implications out of the Big 12. 
It's once again the Baylor Bears playing against the Kansas Jayhawks. I believe this game is on Monday night, uh, Big Monday, I believe. Um, two top Big 12 teams going at it. This has been the matchup of the last few years in this conference. Do you guys think Kansas is able to upset Baylor, or is it going to be too much size, too much physicality for Baylor down low, and they're going to be able to take this one? I'm going back to the point I made with Baylor against Texas Tech. I'm really upset that we did not get to see Baylor play against West Virginia because they would have had to play West Virginia, Tech, and Kansas in three consecutive games. So, you know, that in itself is difficult. Having Tech and Kansas in back-to-back games is difficult, but I think it's probably a huge leg up for them that they didn't have to play that West Virginia game, and I think they should be able to beat this Kansas team. Kansas has not looked as strong as they have in recent years. As I mentioned in the past, I think that Oklahoma State is a very feisty team that's going to keep it close to just about anybody, but they got the better of them. They almost lost to Oklahoma at home. They kind of fell apart down the stretch in that game. And then, of course, they lost to us at home by 25. You know, there's a lot of good scorers on this Kansas team like Marcus Garrett. But when they went, not saying that Texas and Baylor are even on the same playing field, but the size that Baylor has is a lot bigger than some of the teams that Kansas has been able to get the better of. And because of that, I think Baylor should have no problem with this Kansas team. I agree with you, Josh. Um, Kansas matches up with pretty much any team in the country, except for a team like Baylor or Gonzaga, because the size is just going to be way too overwhelming for them and the physicality of this team as well. Kansas has a lot of flashy offensive weapons, like you mentioned. They've got Jalen Wilson. They've got Agbaji along with Garrett and McCormick, but McCormick is going to be exposed against this Baylor front court. And I just don't think it's going to be pretty for them, but still watch out for Kansas because they do have a lot of offensive firepower. It might not be on display in this game, but going forward, they are one of the most dangerous teams in the country. I think that Kansas is going to beat Baylor. And I think this not because of any of these smart reasons that you guys so eloquently laid out, but just because I think the anarchy in college basketball, I think Baylor is playing their first, having their first real test versus Texas tech. I think they'll get through that one, but I think having to play Texas tech and then Kansas back to back after kind of having an easy like ramp up time is going to come back to bite them a little bit. And I think this might just be wishful thinking, honestly, because Baylor's at the top of the Big 12 right now. But I, I, I think they're going to slip up here, and I don't think they can run through this conference unscathed. I think this is one of these games where it's going to come back and bite them. And then, you know, anarchy in college basketball, anything can happen. Yeah, and I actually am going to agree with you, Carter, because of the fact that you have to play two top 15 teams, both on the road, within a two-day period, basically. Saturday and Monday, the not a lot of layoff time with uh, that game. And I think Baylor is going to use a lot of that energy and take it out on Texas Tech. And they're not going to have a lot left in the tank for Kansas, who I think is going to be ready to go. They're always ready to go when they play at Fog Allen. Obviously, they had an 
a disappointing game against our Longhorns, uh, which is a rare uh, beatdown at home for Kansas. But Kansas at home, they're always a team that you can count on. I think their three-point shooting is going to have to play well, and I think they will shoot well. I think uh, Christian Brown, as I now know his last name as, will shoot very well in this game. I think, as Mason mentioned, Jalen Wilson will have a very good game. And uh, McCormick's obviously going to have to step up. I think the key for Kansas, you cannot get him in foul trouble because he is one of their only big guys down row in the, in the perimeter. I think Kansas actually comes away with this win, Carter. I agree with you. And it will be a big w- uh, win for Kansas. And it will, t- it will kind of shake up the Big 12 standings a little bit and give uh, Texas Longhorns a chance to get right back into it after that Texas Tech loss. Um, I know, Mason, you want to say something as you're looking up stuff on yeah (laughs) i i don't know if my app's lying me but i'm seeing this is actually in baylor oh it is in baylor yeah i think that's going to be a deciding factor too this is a tough team to beat anywhere in the country but especially at home so good luck kansas traveling (laughs) to baylor i will still stick with my opinion i do think kansas will pull it out even though it is at baylor but that does change a lot um but Overall, a lot of good games this weekend. Um, it should be exciting as we move forward in conference play. Uh, as always, a lot of great insight from my uh, crew here with Josh, Carter, and Mason. I want to thank all three of you for being on today's show. Incredible insight as always. And our new thing to end every podcast, I will say this. Stay positive, test negative. We will see you next time. <laughs>